Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. In this episode, I talk with WTA coach Carlos Martinez. Carlos is the coach of his wife, Nicole Milikar Martinez, and her doubles partner, Ellen Perez. And he also coaches Carolina Pliskova, who is a top singles player. So you're going to learn a lot here from Carlos, especially on the mental side of the game. So we talk a little bit about the WTA finals where Nicole and Ellen uh, made the finals and lost in a very tight match. But they were actually one set away from elimination earlier in the tournament. And I asked him what he told himself, what he told the team during that situation and how they were able to turn it around. And what you'll learn is that thought never even crossed his mind. They were so focused on uh, the process and executing the game plan that they don't really think too hard about the outcomes. And he does a really good, good job of articulating how you can do this for yourself Uh, on the doubles court as well. He also shares his tennis story with us. He uh, grew up in Bogota, Colombia, was a top junior player. He talks a little bit about how difficult it is to uh, make it as a top junior in South America, where there's a little bit less competition and less opportunity uh, to play the, the top players in the world. He reflects a bit on the 2023 season, and then we talk a lot about off season plans. So um, if you ever wondered what is it like for a pro doubles team during the offseason, how do they uh, think about preparing for the next season? How do they think about improvement? Uh, Carlos breaks it down for us really well. Um, he talks about making any technical changes. Then he talks about uh, match play and tactical changes as well as physical strength and working with a, a physical training team during the off season. So he breaks down kind of what it looks like week by week for Nicole and Ellen for the off season. Uh, we also chat a little bit about what it's like to be a doubles coach on tour, how he manages coaching a top doubles team in Nicole and Ellen, and then a top singles player in Carolina Pliskova. Uh, and then we chat a little bit about double strategy after that. So he shares some of his favorite drills and games to simulate in-match pressure, which he has some uh, interesting thoughts on and, uh, and great ideas for uh, practice matches to help you become better under pressure and, and not double fault in a 10-point tiebreaker and play better in some of those tight match situations. And then at the end, we talk about plans and goals for 2024, uh, as well as his favorite tennis book, his favorite tournament, and how to make doubles more popular. So, Without further delay, enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with WTA coach Carlos Martinez. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Today we have WTA coach Carlos Martinez on. Carlos, welcome. 
Hey, Will, how are you? Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you for coming on. We've been trying to set this up for a little while, and uh, yeah, we we chatted a little bit at the WTA finals, and I wanted to kind of lead with uh, with that, with your experience down there. So, um, obviously, uh, coaching your wife Nicole Melikar Martinez, mm-hmm. and then her partner Ellen Perez, who made a run to the finals, lost a very uh, close match in that finals. Um, that was really just decided by a, a handful of points. Yeah, um, yeah. But to start the WTA finals, they lost their first three sets. So they lost their first match in straights to to Storm Hunter and Elise Mertens. Mm-hmm. And then they lost the first set against uh, Inishibahara, Shukuyama. And they're really one set away from elimination. And yeah. then they, they make this run to the finals after that. What were you telling yourself at that point after that first set against Shibahara and Aoyama? No, definitely. Um, I think since the beginning of the tournament, we were the last team to qualify. <laughs> um, the year didn't go maybe as great as we wanted it. We had definitely a lot of opportunities that uh, maybe we didn't take. But um, since the beginning of the tournament, even you know from the first match, we knew it was going to be challenging we knew that uh, all the teams that are there you know the Anna and Shuko had a great beginning of the year also you know they're always everybody around there it could be dangerous couple if they're on you know um so since the beginning we we said you know what let's try to focus on us let's try to focus on how can we execute how can we stay keep the head in the game how can we stay in the game regardless of what the situation, you know, like if, we, if we're losing, then we need to stay cool, you know, always trying to be self-evaluating, trying to assess the situation in the present, not so much on what happened, you know, like the idea from the beginning again was let's take some risk, let's try to be aggressive. We want to play generally, we've been constructing and building to play an aggressive game. Mm-hmm. So I told them, look, I know it's the finals, important tournament, you know, a lot of points, a lot of money involved, but let's treat it like a like a training session. You know, we have the best teams to practice. Let's we have the you know like the opportunity to play several matches. We, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not expecting to win. I'm not expecting to go ahead and capitalize every opportunity we have but what i'm expecting is the risk taking you know i'm expecting you guys to um perform well to stay on the match to give your full effort to stay focused and concentrated on every single point regardless of what's going on and i think that my, that mindset was what helped you know like we didn't get to panic um we lost the first match yes i mean at least and storm played good they were solid you know, um, we were getting into it a little bit. I mean, we had also chances and opportunities to maybe win that match, but obviously some consistency and certain points here and there go away. But what I was happy was the performance. Again, what I told you is like, look, even though it didn't go our way, we were able to execute at least the things that we wanted, at least to feel free to take risk. And we didn't get rewarded this time, but let's keep that mindset. And in that second match, when we lost the first set, it was a little bit, again, like few points here and there that didn't go our way. And to me, um, it didn't mean anything because it's not that we were not doing the right things. For me, it was like, look, you know what? You guys are trying, you're going for it. 
if it doesn't go our way, it doesn't go our way. But let's not back up. We stay committed. And I think that commitment was the one that uh, helped to go through that match and then get back into it and build that confidence. You know, again, girls didn't panic. We, at, at any point, neither of us thought about, like, you know what, we were a set away to be out. You know, we were just like, you know what, let's continue. Let's stick to your plan. Let's stay committed. And that was... I think for me, the key to win that match, to get it back and win and to continue the run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like um, what you're saying is, or at least what I'm hearing is like really focusing on the process and trusting the game plan rather than worrying about outcomes. So you said you, you lost the first match, but we executed the game plan. We stayed aggressive. It just didn't go our way. That's exactly. okay as long as we're focused on trusting our process and sticking with that and staying in the moment. So I think, yeah, that's really good for a lot of listeners to just not think about the outcome. Don't worry about the win and loss. Just trust your game plan. And if you're executing, let the kind of chips fall as they may. Yeah, um, exactly. And obviously every tournament is different. And this one is a special one because thankfully you have the opportunity to play two more matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you lose the first one. Normally, you lose the first one and you're out of the tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think also it was key for us to understand, to to have that in mind clear. You know, like, look, even if the match doesn't go the way that we want, we still have opportunities. Every single time you have opportunities. And even on the other tournaments, I mean, uh, that's kind of like uh, one of the conclusions or, or uh, learning experiences that we got out of that tournament that... It, there's going to be tournaments that you're going to lose first round. There's going to be tournaments that maybe you go quarterfinals, semifinals. I mean, and there's going to be tournaments that, again, like you're going to finals or you're going to win it, you know, and and, 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 and that's part of the process, again, as you were mentioning. It's, it's just the way that the tour works, you know, like you cannot expect to win every single week because otherwise you're going to be frustrated every single week. Mm-hmm. Uh for us, it's been a little bit as a team together with the girls. It's been a little bit of a challenge. Some of the finals, we played six finals, and you know, like last year also, we had six finals, and then we won one, and then this year again another four finals, and we couldn't win one. I mean, you know, it's it gets a little bit into your head because then you get to the finals, like please, you know, let's win the tournament because a loss is a loss, whether it is first round or finals. I mean, obviously, you're rather losing the finals than first round, but yeah, but it's still like when you're so close. Um, but at the same time, I I I, to, I I tell them it's like, look, we lost another final, but that doesn't mean anything. It's like you guys uh, cannot have in their mind. It's like, oh, we're not. This is a final that we need to. We have to win. You know, like we have to prove mm-hmm. ourselves in the finals. We have a negative record in finals, which we are aware of it, and it's not a secret. It's not a thing to worry about. Um, because you're still getting good results. Final is a final, but when you start thinking too much about those things, when you, again, when it goes back a little bit to that mindset of what I was telling you, when you start focusing too much on the result or or the outcome, you forget what makes you have that outcome, you know, like you, you stay and then you put an extra pressure that is that you don't need. It's an extra pressure that, that uh, uh, interferes your performance. And the idea is to be able to have the mind as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. Is there, are there any, um, any like tips you like to give people or um, routines that you like your players to use 
to not focus on the outcome too much, especially in pressure matches like finals or if you're in a 10 point tiebreaker. I know a lot of people talk about breathing or focusing on your feet or um, have certain routines that they just go through at the baseline. Anything Mm -hmm. like that? Yes, definitely. I think there is, as you mentioned, there are several ways that you can deal with it. And you just have to find maybe what works best for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, As an individual, that's why it's important to also know the player or know the process or understand like the the feelings and emotions that are going through the mind of a player, you know. Um, For me, again, it's important. It's a lot easier said than done. But uh, I think if you train your brain actively to treat every point the same, regardless of break point or um, tie break or, you know, match point or whatever, if you just focus on, on, on your performance and the ability to execute your game, um, it'll help you overall uh, to stay more consistent on the matches regardless of the situation. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a long process, I guess. I mean, uh, because what happens is that uh, it's every time that we're in that situation, it's impossible not to recognize or feel the emotions. You're going to get nervous. And it doesn't happen to just you. It happens to every single tennis player. But the reaction to it is like, okay, now that I'm nervous or now that I feel a little bit of pressure or stress, what am I going to do? Like, How am I going to react? what is going to help me to calm down? Because if you understand the physiological uh, process of your body when you're in these situations, then maybe you can uh, understand better how to react to it. So moving your feet, bringing blood flow up to your extremities, legs and and, and arms, you know? Uh, So one of the first things that I tell them is always stay very active, stay very... um, like moving, keep bring, you know, bring that heart rate not higher because when you're nervous, it's already high, but mm-hmm. make the blood flow everywhere in the body. Not mm-hmm. just, you know, because it normally it centers into you. When you're nervous or stressed or in pressure, the blood flow centers to this is our natural body reaction that, you know, mm-hmm. like you're under a stress situation, so the body responds differently. But now that you know these physiological reasons, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay still? Are you not going to go and maybe take a breath and come down? So, yeah, like we have that one. I, I normally tell them to stay active, to move a little bit. Um, if they, maybe the match is intense and they're really active and then they're doing a good job on it, maybe I tell them to take a little breath again, like go to the towel, reset, deep two breaths, maybe a stomach, you know, like breathe with the stomach, they call it, like where you make it a little bigger and then smaller because mm-hmm. the nerves normally center in your in your gut. Um, uh we also have uh, cues. Maybe they look at me and I just tell them um, things to do to execute. So, if, mm-hmm. for example, they're very nervous in a certain way. I just tell them, look, okay, return line, you know, mm-hmm. or serve, serve and volley. Something mm-hmm. that they don't have to think so much. They can take the risk. And then if they lose it, they can blame it on me, you know, because sometimes yeah. that takes a little bit of responsibility from you as a player. Because in doubles, I feel it's a little higher when you lose a point you not only disappoint yourself but also disappoint your partner Mm. and that's another thing that we've worked on it's like look if you make a mistake it's normal you're not disappointing anyone and sometimes you know like we take we tend to take it a little harder because i'm making my partner lose 
Mm-hmm. But that's not how you need to think, you know, you need to get rid of that thought. You need to be like, you know what, I'm trying, I'm not losing on purpose. I have to do it the best I can. And then sometimes when I take responsibility or when I tell them what to do or execute, it takes pressure off them. And if for whatever reason doesn't go, the easiest thing is blame the coach and move on, you know, like it, yeah. it definitely helps with pressure. So yeah, we have those, those maybe three yeah interesting i yeah i like that a lot trying to um just tell them to to go line or or take like a risk and they can focus on just executing that and then um you can kind of take a little bit of the responsibility yourself yeah Um, yeah. that way they don't have to think about it as much but one thing i want to get back to that you mentioned that i I really want to highlight is uh everybody gets nervous and this is something that I feel like a lot of players, so a lot of players listening are club level doubles players, right? And they're, you know, they're not professionals on on TV um, or anything like that. But a lot of them think that Nadal never gets nervous and that's why he's so good. Or Djokovic never gets nervous or Serena never gets nervous, but they all get nervous. But the way you described that was really good. It's like, okay, I'm nervous. Here's how I typically react when I'm nervous. How am I going to handle this? And I think that's a really personal question that everyone has to Mm -hmm. kind of figure out for themselves um, like you talked about but getting rid of the nerves is not the solution because that's never going to happen everybody's always yeah yeah, everybody's always nervous so so the thing is you have to figure out what your routines are and and how you handle that Mm -hmm. um so i want to get back to coaching in a bit but first uh i want to hear a little bit about um your tennis story how did you get started in tennis um to kind of where you are now coaching on the WTA tour? So tennis has been running in my family for generations. My grandpa was a tennis coach. My dad was a tennis coach from my dad's family. My uncles, my aunts, they all played tennis. And my uncles are all tennis coaches uh, in Bogota. That's where I'm originally from. So mm-hmm. growing up, I mean, I, I watched my dad playing. Also, he played professional national level uh he did play some qualifiers of challengers and all that back in the day um satellites they used to call them but yeah um so i grew up watching him uh, and then obviously you get into the sport uh because you're around it it's your environment so started playing yeah early age competed nationally south america also like the south american tour de cosad few ITFs, um, few futures. I started playing some futures when I was 16, 17. And then I decided to go to college in the U.S., obviously for economical reasons also. Tennis is expensive. It's, you know, like if you want to take it to the next level, you have to have either support to be able to travel and compete. And especially Mm -hmm. in South America, I think that's one of the biggest issues in South America is that... um, it's hard to get out. It's hard to travel to places where you can find regular and high competition and players that do get to compete a lot and all that. They, they we have a very uh, fighter mentality. You see it in Argentinians and Chileans and mm-hmm. but yeah, but but it's hard. So made the decision to go to college, take advantage of the level that I had then to get into a good college. I got to go to Western Michigan University. Then transferred to Jackson State University where I graduated. And then uh, while I was in college in the summers and 
I played the first two years. I played for a club in Germany also, uh, club tennis, which is a great opportunity. I mean, I think a lot of more players, especially maybe, I mean, now the, 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 the rules are a little tougher for international players, but I still think that there is opportunity for uh, South American players or I mean American, all the players to be able to go and compete whether it is club level or open level, they have tournaments every weekend. You know, the competition in Germany, France, in Europe, it's very consistent and frequent and it's affordable also because it's, everything is very close. So I think for players in development, it's important to find a way to get to compete in Europe because that's there's a lot of levels. You, you learn a lot. It's a growth experience and I think it's makes a difference that's why europeans normally dominate but anyway um yeah i finished college and then after college i had a master's degree i did my master's degree in um computer science and analytics i was trying to deviate a little bit from tennis i was trying to get away just to try mm-hmm. something different um but no, tennis always found a way to to get me back I yeah. was always involved with high-performance juniors. Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot, especially players that try, you know, to put effort. Um, then I had an opportunity to run a, an academy and a club in New Jersey, and that's when I escalated my coaching skills to maybe more higher ITF level juniors, you know, with few pros, you know, in development, coming, helping, developing preseasons. And then I got to meet Nikki. And he called my wife now. And I got involved with her. I started helping her a little bit. And then after she finished with her last coach, uh, she asked me if I was able to help her. I was also working with other juniors. I had a junior that did very well in the tour in the ITF. Now he's in Stanford playing for the university. He's still doing very good. And got, uh, a month ago, got to the finals of a 25K. You know, he's a high-level player. Mm-hmm. and she got to also trust my coaching you know like the the way that i was dealing with the things the way that i was building the players the advice and she asked me she asked me to help her when, when whenever the last coach finished and uh, it was a little bit of a challenge of course because one thing is being husband and another thing is being coach yeah so it's a lot of personal emotions again like you obviously you 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 want your student to do well but you also want your wife to do well and <laughs> there's a lot of emotions in tennis and again as i told you sometimes you make some calls and and if it's your fault it's your fault but you can take it as a coach is different but then coach and husband then <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was, i was a little hesitant about that but um but no we decided to give it a chance and and we tried and it, it went well and then uh with ellen you know we started a little bit and then slowly she also got into part of the training part of the team and and also starting to trust a little bit more like the advice and and, and how everything was working and obviously it's easier to trust when maybe the results go along with it you know mm-hmm. because that you can sort of prove um what that you're saying you're just not lying you know like <laughs> you're yeah, saying yeah. something it's that working. makes sense mm-hmm. exactly so i think with that uh, transition it was good it was smooth it was uh successful and and that's how we got into the coaching the tour so now it's been already like two years two years now yeah awesome mm-hmm. so um i i think i read uh somewhere that you majored in geology 
Is that right? Yeah, my yeah, my undergrad was in uh, geology or earth system science. They had it in that, that at that time, which it was uh, basically everything with geology, but they added hydrology and they added environmental science and they added a few more classes uh, to that okay. undergrad major. But yeah, like at that point. My mom worked a little bit on the mineralogy field. So she was uh, always, okay. yeah. So my mom also played tennis, but she was doing some rock analysis for a petrology company. So uh, because of that reason, I kind of like, I was like, you know what? Everybody studies business. Business is very useful, but I always believe right. that you can learn business on your own. Uh, there's so much information out there. So I was like, mm -hmm. I, I want to study something different. And I, I mean, now I don't use any of that. I mean, it was a waste of time, to be honest. But, um, but yeah, geology. That's funny. Yeah, I, when I saw that, I was like, I don't, I don't think I've ever known anyone who uh, studied geology in college. So I, I had to ask. Um, yeah, I was trying to go into the gas and oil industry here in the. I mean, in the US, but yeah. Yeah, it's big, yeah. especially here in Texas where I am. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk about the offseason. So the uh, the WTA finals ended about a month ago. Um, Y'all finished second in the tournament. What happens after that? So normally, I mean, the season was very long this year. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously for like Ellen, it didn't finish right there. She had to go. Yeah, that's true. And then continue playing uh, Fed Cup and uh, Billie Jean Cup and, and all that, which, I mean, Australia had a good run. But yeah, so for her, it went a little longer. And for Nikki and myself, we, we finished after Cancun. So yeah, you take a couple of week weeks off, you know, you let the body recover. Mm -hmm. um, again, Did you just like, spend time at home in Florida? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. Took a little break, you know, like um, relaxed for a little bit. and. Yeah, like normally you do different activities. If you want to go for vacations, that's the time to go. You see it with all the pro players, some going to Maldives, some going to the Caribbean, yeah. you know. So, yeah. <laughs> and they go all over the place. But yeah, and take two to three weeks off. I mean, you don't want to do completely and like nothing. Just, you know, like you, you do slow down for a week. Maybe you just don't do anything. But the second week, normally we start, uh, I mean, for example, Nicole, she likes to do Pilates and. She's very active generally. So it's not that she's always completely off fitness or exercise. So yeah, three days a week she does Pilates. And then the third week we add yoga also. I like yoga a lot. So we do maybe three days Pilates and two days yoga. And, you know, we stay active. And then the fourth week now, again, you start thinking on, we program, we set all the training uh, for the preseason evaluate what happened during the season areas of improvement uh you know like in fitness mental and we create a program to start so now after three weeks off then you start the preseason when she and nikki started last week so as ellen um mm. so yeah like now we slowly get into the the heavy load of the preseason yeah which normally is for four four weeks Five weeks, depending on how you want it or what things you need to work on. Mm -hmm. But but yeah. So what does that process look like for for creating that four to five week plan? Are you like mapping out every single day of that four to five weeks, saying like you're gonna yes. do? Okay. So what does that look like for either Nikki or Ellen? And you don't so, have to get so into normally, specifics on like 
strengths or right, weaknesses. Right. But... So, for example, with Nikki, um, we we again evaluate some of the maybe highlights of the matches that mm-hmm. we felt that we could have done better or that we felt that we liked a little behind. And then we start finding tendencies. Um, mm-hmm. Where are the players? How are the players beating us? You know, or like the, the opponents, like what are they looking? Mm-hmm. What are our weaknesses? And also our strength, you know, how are we beating the others? And then based on that, let's say the, the first week, I, I tend to work a little bit more into technical and cleaning. So what I like to do in the first week or two it's a lot of repetitions, a lot of uh, uh, feeding drills mm-hmm. where you can clean anything. Like if you have some technical fallacies or if you need to clean certain shots or like maybe, let's say, for example, a volley, back and volley, maybe the swing is a little too big. And mm-hmm. then we're going behind the head a little bit more than what we wanted to. So we correct it. We really pay attention to those minimal little things and we do a lot of repetitions. Um, mm-hmm. For Ellen, the same thing. Ellen, uh, I think she also has another commitment for a, like a tournament or like a exhibition tournament in India. Yeah. So yeah, with her, that. with her, I couldn't map out day by day what she needed to do because obviously she has this uh, exhibition tournament. So uh, what I did, and she's working uh, in Australia. She's working with Sam Stosur and Nicole Pratt, you know, and because obviously she's in Australia and we're in the US. So what I do is I create a list of the my observations and things that I think that she needs to improve or work on. And then I let her coaches there that are helping her to more or less uh, schedule it based on what she needs to do or, or her exhibition tournament. And I don't adjust it. But at least we are in the same page as far as, okay, we need to work on this. We need to do this. We need to do this specifically. So what I do... Break it down also. Like technically, I, I, I whenever you have time or however your coach is there, I schedule it. I need you to work this week and this and this and this specifically, you know. And and, and it's more tedious. It's more repetition. It's more hand fit or bracket. You know, like it's more repetition again, drilling, drilling, drilling. Mm-hmm. And then as as you get more clean or more comfortable in those areas and you feel that, yeah, like you're dominating it or you're assessing the situation, the problem, then you move on to a little bit more of a life situation. Then we start getting into more consistency or under pressure situations or, you know, like again, movement, you know, little things like that. And then we progress into point play. So towards the end of a preseason, we start finding players or teams also that need to practice points as well. And then we get into the competitive side of it where we apply everything that we did in the past weeks and make sure that, uh, that, 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 yeah, that we assessed it and, and, and it's working. And if not, then you take a little bit of that competition off and go over it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for the example, let's say with the backhand volley, when you're adjusting the technique and going through lots of feeding drills, does that look like, you know, we're going to hit 200 backhand volleys today, or do you have like a number in mind or is it yes. like, we're, so, we're going to work so on normally, this for an hour? Yes, exactly. Normally we, it, it, it also depends on the load of, of, of the training because we'd also, we're normally in the preseason, you also build physically. Mm-hmm. So there is different. Also, you map out that with the fitness coach where, for example, next week for Nikki is going to be higher volume 
on fitness. So it's going to be a little bit more charge. You know, she's going to get a little bit more into strength. So if her muscles are tired or if, if your body is tired and then we go on the court and spend two hours doing certain things, then sometimes it backfires because then the muscles are not responding the way that you want it. So based on that volume, I adjust the charge, also the volume of, of the fitting. Normally, again, uh, in certain matches, depending obviously on the match and the length also, you you don't hit more than 50 or 80 volleys per match, you know? Like So then we combine the whole training where there is a warm-up, there is certain exercises for feel or for depth and this and that. And then we narrow it down to the specific where we do yeah, 150 volleys here or like 120 volleys. But it depends again on, on the load of of the fitness and also on the load of the body, how, how, how it's feeling. Right. Because if your body starts getting tired and you're working on technique, you're going to start to have technical flaws just because you're tired. The muscles. Exactly. Yeah, that exactly. makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, okay, a couple more questions, and then I will let you go. So if I were to ask Nikki your biggest strength as a coach, what do you think she would say? I think she would say more like in the mental area and the mental side. Obviously, technical and tactical, we do a lot of – I mean, I like to work on those things – as a team, I don't like to impose my way of thinking because for me, one of the philosophies that I have is I will help you, I will guide you through, but I also need you to understand what you're doing because it's not always what I say to do, you know, like you also have a voice. You're the one that has to execute at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So in those, in those scenarios, uh, I always like um, team feedback, you know, like we always build it together. We always... I give my thoughts, somebody, uh, Nikki gives her thoughts, Helen gives her thoughts, and then we put it together, and then here, this is the result, and this is what we're going to do. So I think for the most part, and something that I try to be very tedious with is the mental, you know, like, again, not getting frustrated, like, staying motivated, staying confident, trust yourself, you know, like, and all those things. So I think if you ask her that, I think she'll say, yeah, like, keeping her (laughs) in a good mindset. How do you handle coaching multiple players? So we talked a little bit about off air. Um, you're in Spain right now working with Carolina Pliskova. Obviously, right. you've got Nikki and Ellen as well, who are on opposite sides of the globe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you handle that? Not only in the off season, but during the regular season, because um, I know, you know, that's not uncommon for, especially for coaches on the double side. Uh, to have to find other players to coach because the the prize money just isn't always there mm-hmm. to support a uh, a doubles coach for every single team. Well, now with them, I mean, last year we had the opportunity to have that experience, you know, like where I was working with them and as well helping Carolina. Uh, we started more or less in, in the US Open. Um, it's sometimes uh, hard to manage the timing because of the scheduling Mm -hmm. uh thankfully one is singles and the other ones are doubles so that Mm -hmm. helps um because then the schedule is different again singles normally starts monday and then doubles normally wednesdays or you know tuesday so they have a day in between Mm -hmm. uh in terms of practices same thing i mean normally singles players get a little bit of a better window for their practice 
So you get to choose better times. And normally those players get a little bit more in the afternoon or early morning. Uh, those players normally have to accommodate a little bit more around the singles schedule. So um, for that reason, it, it has worked a little bit. But um, something that I'm very careful with is not taking any attention of either of them. Because for me, it's important to also give a quality of my job. And mm -hmm. if I cannot manage the timing correctly then obviously that quality is gonna decrease so um, i mean communication key all of them know like again like uh right now we're working a little bit on that preseason with carolina uh, ellen has her job there in, in in australia nikki also is doing her stuff in in florida right now um the timing obviously everything is distributed to to a sense that uh, that it, they all feel comfortable, that they all feel that they're getting what they need, and they all feel that uh, that that yeah that, that they're not being taken advantage of, or like again that they're not getting the the, the quality that they need. So communication is key. I mean, uh, thankfully they're all really nice girls, you know. Like then then they they really. Uh, I've been lucky to work with them because they also trust and then they're open to talk. They're open to make things work. So it's not that one is like, oh, Carlos, really? You're going to make me wake up one hour earlier? No. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, they're, they're all very flexible. They're being really helpful in that sense. But um, obviously, sometimes singles players require a little bit more attention as well because the matches are longer, recovery is longer, preparation, you know, takes time. Uh, doubles player also is the same. It's just like singles matches are longer too, you know. So sometimes if you have a schedule of singles and then right after the doubles, if the singles go longer, what are you going to do, you know? Yeah. So, no, we try to, I mean, I try to talk to tournament directors to see if they can schedule a, like a good windows so I can last mm -hmm. year and that I could work it out in order for me to be in both matches, be in both warm-ups. Um, so yeah, like it's it's a little bit of a logistics uh, problem solving, but then once you kind of like again, if you have flexible players and then everybody's willing to work, then then it's much easier. Sure. So it, you talked about um, being a a strong mental coach. Do you have any favorite drills or games for doubles that people can use to help? improve their mental strength and, and create kind of in-match pressure. I was talking to a coach, a college coach about this the other day with serving, and we were talking about, you know, it's hard to simulate in practice the pressure you feel on a, especially on a second serve on a big point, right? Like a lot of uh, club players listening probably double fault sometimes when mm. uh, it's 5-4 in the tiebreaker or something like that. Do you have any favorite drills or ways to kind of simulate pressure and work on mental strength and practice no, for sure i mean i think you can always try to trigger certain emotions mm -hmm. in my opinion it's impossible i think what you feel in the match you only feel in the match um mm -hmm. because practice everybody knows is practice everybody knows that you can you know like the consequences are less but in terms of drills, I like to put pressure on the serve let's say i make them play five points in a row with only one serve and then if you lose, let's say if you lose the game or if you make on force errors, then it counts more or you give them a punishment, like a little punishment at the end, whether push-ups or 
Caesar jumps and like little things like that where you put a little bit of, of something in that way it costs something you know uh definitely put I, I think by putting these little uh things in your head again play uh high pressure situations again or play a set uh where you only serve from 30 all and you know like and then if you lose the set then your opponent's do butts up or you know yeah. like again put always something i think some players don't like to do i mean obviously be careful with what you do i'm not saying go ahead and get killed but sure guys do it more but we yeah. think less sometimes but uh but yeah but put always put something on play something of value something of especially for example if you don't like let's say suicide mm-hmm. uh, if you lose you have to run two suicides mm-hmm. because now you're putting double double of the pressure not not much of the pressure but then now you have to do something that you don't like so yeah. then you're already dealing with a negative thought of not this you know and then you're gonna have to serve and then you know like that train of thoughts might guide you to either be more careful and so you don't get what you don't want you know and then maybe you can take a little bit more risk because the idea is to trigger that you know like the idea is to be able to play free even in a situation that is not comfortable so mm-hmm. if you put yourself if you set something that is uncomfortable already and then you try to put certain games i mean there's so many games that you can do again like you can play tie breaks to five you can play you know short ones or or again or long one to ten but it start from six all you know so it's already mm-hmm. well, point counts a lot but then always besides those extra pressure situations put something that is uncomfortable for you so then that way it gets a little bit more of a, of a value but but yeah i mean those those little things drills can help you but generally yeah then when the match comes is commitment I mean, you're not gonna feel the same way yeah yeah there's no substitute for match pressure but mm-hmm. uh yeah it sounds like maybe using having something you put on the line in practice or some kind of consequence yeah, um, can, yeah, can at least get part of the way to that match pressure. It won't. Yeah, yeah. and it makes it competitive exactly. as well. Like if you're playing mm-hmm. again against friends or somebody else in practice, you don't want to lose. There's a little bit of pride, but then not only just losing, but losing and having to do something you don't want to. Right. Definitely adds. Yeah. Yeah, I know. For I've heard for some club players, this probably isn't a good one for for pros, um, especially during a tournament. But for some club players, like. If they go out for beers after, it's like whoever loses has to buy the the beers. Um, the first so that, round that, or the whole round, yeah. Yeah, that could be something as well. Uh, no, people could sure. try. No, um, and definitely, like that's a good that's, for club players. I think that's a great one because again, it's social, it's fun, but at the yeah. same time, you're gonna create this competitive environment where, yeah, you know, like if you lose, you have to pay, and then yeah. therefore, when you get in the matches, it, it can be very similar. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's going to force you for sure to really focus um which is what you want to be doing in practice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so talk about 2024, any plans or kind of goals you have for uh for next season? No, definitely. So with the girls with uh, Nikki and Ellen, we uh, we want to get back to top 10. We really, you know, I I think they have all the ability. They have everything that they need to get it. Uh, as I said, I think in the last tournament, it was good that they got to play the finals. Also helped to realize um, 
how comfortable they can play when there's no expectations, when we just focus on on, on the process, not on the results. And and it clicked. I think they understood it in a in a different way. I mean, we've been mentioning that for a long time, but sometimes uh the process takes a little bit of time. Sometimes you can be saying the same words at the beginning of the year, but at the end of the year, for whatever reason, situation, it clicked differently and it mm-hmm. makes you think differently. It makes you realize and learn. And I think that happened to us a little bit. It was a little bit of, um, you know, release. Communication was good. Again, like after the tournament, we got to sit down and opened up. You know, it's important also to be able to to trust your partner, to trust your coach, to be able to say what you need to say without being judged or without, you know, like having the, the having it in mind that maybe something's going to go wrong. No, something that I try to implement a lot is that, you know, the open communication and, and, and emotional intelligence. And uh, again, for next year, I see it very doable, again, to reach the top 10. There's going to be obviously a strong couples, a strong partnerships, as always. Yeah, but uh, I do trust their ability, trust their, you know, like their mental now. And so top ten is one, and definitely have the chance to go and run, win a Grand Slam. I truly think that they can achieve it if if, if they put everything on it, if they put their mindset as as we mentioned it in it. I see it very possible. So yeah, and obviously we have the goals. Always, it's important to aim somewhere. But for me, more importantly, is for them to be able to play consistently. Awesome. Uh, so a few more rapid fire questions and then we'll hop off here. Um, what is your favorite uh, tennis book? Tennis book. So I, I read this one. It's not quite tennis, but it's mental. It's called uh, Designing mm-hmm. the Mind. Okay. I forgot the author right now. But uh, yeah, Designing the Mind It talks about how you can train the way that you think. And how to react to negative thoughts, how to react to um, um, challenging situations. Uh, it tells you, again, naturally what your brain does, how to normally react. This is us. We're programmed pretty much the same way. Again, we all have different personalities, but in, in under pressure situations, we are very similar. Mm-hmm. So um, it gives different cues and it lay, lays it out very clearly um, how to re-engineer your trail your way of thinking your train of thoughts so that one definitely that one is worth the read especially for tennis players because i think at that level professional level and club level i mean any level you're always dealing with your inner self you know a lot of the times it's you against you and you're the one that is stopping yourself to for certain executions or certain uh you know commitments so how to restructure the thoughts is a very important skill to have. Mm-hmm. Designing the mind. Okay. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll look it up and include it in the show notes for the listeners. Uh, what is your favorite tournament? Tournament. Well, uh, actually <laughs> we had the discussion with Nikki and with the girls also. I mean, obviously all the grand slams are very special. Um, and then some of the 1000s are great as well. Um, but for me, it's if I would have to pick, I'll pick maybe US Open. Uh, New York is I like the city. Uh, I have many friends there. The environment, mm-hmm. like the atmosphere, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all have again their touch. 
But for me, all the tournaments are good. I mean, it's, it's, they're all tournaments. We see the same girls, the same players consistently over and over. And and I think, obviously, there are tournaments that have these traditions and, and money, so they make them more welcoming and more comfortable. But everybody's trying to do a good effort. So, yeah, like if I have to pick up the big ones, probably US Open. And, but, but, yeah, generally, for me, all the tournaments have to win them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear you. Do you know where this picture's from behind me? No, I cannot really see. Wait. I can give yeah, you a hint. It, and that's Nikki in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. Yeah. No, 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 I... That's Nikki. There's Ellen. Oh, Ellen's here behind me. <laughs> you didn't attend mm-hmm. this one. Austin. Yeah, it's Austin. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I did not. Just because you said that, I didn't go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you didn't go to that one. I didn't go. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was only a three-hour drive for me, so I I drove down, and they were they yeah, were pra- yeah, remember, practicing in this. Uh, I actually didn't even get to see them play because they didn't play till like Thursday night. But yeah, uh, they, they were practicing they, here. Um. So, last question for you: How do we make doubles more popular? I think marketing. I think also. Um... I mean, the the doubles girls normally tend to do a good job in trying to post, engage the the fans. Ellen does a very good job sometimes, like ruffling tickets on Twitter or like on Instagram. You know, she she tries mm-hmm. to really have good engagement. Um, but yeah, no, I think we need a little bit more exposure uh, in media, in the you know, like again, regular media, not only online. A lot of people complain always that they cannot watch the matches because you they have to be subscribed to uh, ESPN Plus or Tennis Channel Plus because mm-hmm. there there's the only platforms that really show it and you have to you know like you have to search for it instead of like people actually showing it to you. Um, so definitely exposure. Um, yeah, I think marketing marketing exposure is the key for it. A little bit more yeah. of prime time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, awesome. Carlos, any final requests of the audience or final comments before you hop off here? No, I mean, again, uh, always try your best. Again, don't be too judgmental or too hard on yourself. I think a lot of people tend to go really, really hard on themselves, you know, and that creates extra pressure and that doesn't let you think clear. So overall advice is enjoy it, you know, have fun, like really, really enjoy it, truly. Have fun, enjoy the competition. Competition is amazing when you do it healthy mm-hmm. and and control your emotions, especially the negative ones. Try to find ways to to be able to be more emotionally intelligent. Yeah, I love it. Don't be too hard on yourself. That's one that uh, a lot of people can follow. And I really like mm. that a lot. Awesome. Well, Carlos, thanks so much for hopping on. Uh, thank you, Will. That was great. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more.
You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at vtennistribe.com.